0: Welcome to WMFA, a podcast where writers talk writing. I'm Courtney Ballastier, and this week I'm talking with Natalie Goldberg. Natalie is the author of over 14 books, including the best-selling Writing Down the Bones, which has changed the way writing is taught. Her other books include Wild Mind, The Long Quiet Highway, and The Great Spring. She continues to lead workshops and retreats nationally and internationally, which she has done for over 40 years. She has also painted for as long as she has written. She lives in northern New Mexico. Natalie's new memoir, Let the Whole Thundering World Come Home, chronicles her experience with cancer, first her own, and then her partner's. Natalie is unflinchingly honest as she grapples with the totality of the diagnosis and treatment, from chemotherapy to the reality of impermanence. Here, we talk about the work of getting that time down on paper, and the book that she had to write before she could. We also talk about encountering new incarnations of the same old writerly fears, Communing with the writers who still, as she puts it, walk with her. And maintaining writing practice, no matter what.
1: Even if you have cancer, you brush your teeth every day. You know, because it's become a habit. So writing is a habit for me. You know, I continue it, whether I have cancer or not.
2: I read in the preface that the writing of the book came after the cancer, so I wanted to start by just asking you to talk a little generally about how you came to the book.
1: Well, I had cancer. Yeah, right. No, and, but I mean, like uh,
2: the fact that you know you weren't you weren't writing like while you were oh, undergoing. treatment. well, it
1: wasn't true that I wasn't writing. I had written another book while I had cancer, The Great Spring, right, which I write about in the introduction. Yes, yes. So I wrote that, and then. I guess, to tell you the truth, I don't remember, but I'm writing all the time. And so I probably started doing a lot of writing practice on, on, on having cancer, almost just wanting to recall the whole process. And in the act of doing it, I realized, you know, day after day, I just kept adding on. I realized I was in the middle of another book.
2: Do you feel now like you needed the Great Spring to get to this?
1: Uh, That's a very, very good question. Um, Yeah, I do. Because in the Great Spring, it wasn't clear whether I was going to survive or not. The cancer and the Great Spring are a lot of stories and essays, sort of how I lived my life and stories that I wanted recorded in case I die. So maybe that was taken care of. And then when I survived, it was like, okay, now I'm going to write about cancer. So I I just wanted to record, you know, the experience I had, but not just for me, for other people, because I was hoping it would help them, because it stunned me when I got cancer. I had no idea about it. You know, I knew people who had cancer, but nobody close to me. And I was thrown into a world I knew nothing about and felt totally crazy and I really looked for books that recorded that so I wouldn't feel you know I wouldn't feel so alone but I couldn't find I found mostly books about you can do it you can get out you can make it and I didn't really want such a positive book I wanted a book that said yeah you're going to feel nuts yeah it's really hard to deal with the medical people and you have to you know, kind of buckle up and do it. And I just needed a book that gave me some reality.
2: Yeah, I was so struck by that and struck by how frequently I hear variations on that from writers. And it it really does prove again and again, that adage of writing the book that you want to read.
1: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's, It's out. It came out yesterday and it's a little scary. It feels very personal. I don't always come out shining, you know, looking so great. Sure. But I wanted it to be real because I really didn't do it for me at that point. I did it to, well, I did it partially for me to find out what the hell went on. You know, because when you're in it, you're just fighting for your life. Yeah. And um, I wanted to record it afterwards. And also to prove that in the middle of cancer, cancer doesn't have to be everything. Right. You can have a real life, Um, you know, that other things are important, and they continue to be important. I mean, after all, even if you have cancer, you brush your teeth every day. Right. (laughs) Because, you know, because it's become a habit. So writing is a habit for me. And, um, you know, I continue it, whether I have cancer or not.
2: Were you finding in those periods, you know, was was the writing giving you energy? Was it depleting energy? Did your relationship to the writing practice
1: change? I realized that um, the resistance was really deep to writing this. Mm. And... So I, for a while, believed it and had to struggle with that. And so I said, okay, Natalie, you only have to write an hour a day about the cancer. And that's what I did. And then I ran out of the studio (laughs) because I couldn't face it. And then at some point, three weeks into that, I realized that it was just resistance again, that I made it too big a deal, just like Monkey Mind it was monkey mind in another form and once i realized that then the writing really went and it was very liberating
2: yeah it resonated so much with me you wrote if i didn't write this book no other book would possibly ever come and that idea that like what what we as writers avoid is like where the energy is and that's such a hard yes. it's such a hard thing to it's maybe easier to to be mindful of but it's so hard to like uh rise yourself to rise to the occasion of it
1: Exactly. Yes, exactly. But it's totally true. That deep person in me that I call on in order to write will, um, you know, feel like, okay, she didn't do this one. I don't have to do anything with her. Mm. You're really being tested. Are you going to stand up? Are you willing to face whatever comes up?
2: You know, I thought as I was reading about, I did a workshop last summer, um, and I took a session with the writer Fenton Johnson on writing a spiritual practice, uh, and he talked a lot about memorizing poetry and reciting it to himself while he was undergoing medical treatments, and that kept coming up in my mind as I was reading, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, what your relationship to language in all forms, writing and reading, you know, or memory of I things. read a lot.
1: Reading is very important. It's, um, you, you know, the writers you read are your teachers, and that's how you learn to write. You study their minds.
2: Right. Were you able to with, with during the treatments? You know, was that something that I can imagine maybe not feeling up to it?
1: Yeah, I didn't do that very much. I, I was looking for books on cancer, and I couldn't find any that really met me. One that did actually, Eve en- Ensler, her, oh, she yeah. had cancer, and she wrote a book on cancer that I thought was terrific, and that did help. Um, just reading it helped. and um, But other than that, I couldn't really find very much. But I'm sure there is, but you know, when you have cancer, yeah. you're not very industrious.
2: Right, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are, but just only on the, focused on the cancer. Yeah, in a
1: different place,
2: yeah. <laughs> right, right. So when you were writing through it, you know were you aware that it was a book did you think that maybe it would just be something that you kept to yourself
1: Yes i had no idea i i wrote the whole story and then i um i sent it to an old agent and just to see what she thought and she said to me oh natalie everybody who every writer who has cancer has to write about mm. it she said it has to have something else and um and then she used the example of you know a history of cancer mm-hmm. in america or something which is so not me no oh, yeah and uh, but then i realized what was unusual for me about cancer and i realized it was that my partner got it at the same time i did right and so i really developed that
2: that's such a funny way to rub up against the reality of the publishing industry. Like, the cancer's not enough. What's your twist on the cancer?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I understand. Yeah. You know, I I took it as information. I didn't get, you know, knocked over by it. Then I just had to think, what would be really indigenous to me that I would write about?
2: Right. And and I would imagine that a lot of what came out surprised you. Is that is that true? Um mm, maybe not. I just thought, you know, no, cuz it's it so much to process and 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 Yeah, it didn't, so it deep. didn't
1: surprise me as much as some books, uh-huh. but it was hard and a little scary. And yeah, it did surprise me to really look at how, you know, I wasn't so great. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't so great with my partner. I was quite selfish. And um it it didn't su- surprise me, but when I had to put it down black and white, it was very um, sobering, let us say.
2: How did you process that? I mean, it seems like certainly an occasion that calls for some self-compassion.
1: Oh, you mean when I wrote it? Yeah. I just kind of was like, okay, this is it. This is what I was like. Sometimes I'm a bitch. (laughs) <laughs> did you
2: uh, did you have a conversation with your partner? And uh, you know, I want to write about you. Is that okay?
1: No, I didn't ask her. I wrote yeah. it, and then I showed it to her afterwards. She was a little hesitant, but then when I changed her name, she was fine. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: She naively said, "Oh, no one will know it's me."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I said, "Oh yeah, that's right."
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's how it works for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only the people we know
2: <laughs> well that actually is a really good segue into something that I wanted to ask about um you know you write um that write you know that that old saying that writers get to live twice and you say that you know often the second time is the real life for the writer and and I was thinking about that and I think that's what's what feels so true of that for me often is that the second time we're almost living that second life and, like, while we're watching the first one happen,
1: yeah, it gets a little dangerous, yeah doesn't it? yeah,
2: and i and I wondered if you you know were going at any moment, like the thing that I'm thinking of is you laying down on the road with the snake and just have it, like I wondered if there was a presence of mind in you thinking like that's gonna be a good scene,
1: no, no, I was facing life and death, yeah, and I was cancer, I had, and also I'm older. Um, I don't look for it as much as Mm -hmm. I used to. Do you know what I Mm -hmm, mean? mm -hmm. I'm happy if I don't have to write a Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. And um, so mostly I'm trying to get away from writing books at this point (laughs) in my life, but they keep coming up. Um, They kind of find me now.
2: I really enjoyed the structure of the book with each section opening with an essay on visiting a significant grave.
1: Didn't you like that? Oh, good. I'm glad you did.
2: Oh, I loved it. And it made me, it made me think, you know, that's not something that I necessarily have thought to do to like, but then, you know, of course, as the reader, I'm like, well, whose graves would I want to go see? And, and what would I get from that? And and so I, I wanted to just, yeah, talk to you about what is significant about that ritual to you and then like kind of how that became actually a framing structure for the book.
1: I've done it for years, I don't know, it's sort of, when I really love an author, they walk with me, and I know what they've been through, and I kind of want to go see where they ended up. I know that we all end up dead, but where? You know, and hopefully, and go there, and just, I feel like, just honor them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, like Martin Luther King's grave, I didn't write about that one, but I've gone there. Mm -hmm. I want to honor these people. And so I go, and sometimes I talk to them, and I just want to visit. I don't know. It seems so obvious to me to honor someone that you love. If you go, maybe you go visit your parents' graves when they died. Well, these writers are important to me. These painters are important to me. But how I thought of it for the book was... Um many years ago I read a book which a lot of people know. Let me think of it. Um by John Oh, it's the one about Everest. Oh, Into Thin Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: John Krakauer. By
1: jo- yeah, by John Krakauer. And I never forgot. See, I study books. I don't just read a book. I'm studying it as a writer. So one of the things that he did at the beginning of each section he told some history of um, people who climbed Everest, and I found that fascinating, and I really appreciated it, and it gave it another dimension, the you know the uh, climb to Everest, and I never forgot it, and so um, with this book I wanted to add some other layer. A little bit of distance and another perspective, and I remembered John Krakauer and what he'd done, and so I put that in, and I thought it also worked parallel because it was about dying and visiting graves.
2: Yeah, no, I, th- I think it. I think it works really beautifully, and so kind of where. Well, I want to talk to you about you know the the process of writing it, kind of once you realize that you had a book on your hands and and going through that. But uh, but where where in that process were you able to start thinking of it more like making those sorts of cho- choices, stuff that's maybe a little bit more you know kind of the the editor mind and not the the creative generative mind.
1: Yeah, it was after I re- after I wrote the book after I wrote the this experience through. Yeah. And then after I sent it to my that old agent, and she said, it has to have some other perspective. And then I tried to think of different perspectives I could add that were really um, coincident with me. You know, not mm-hmm. add something artificially, but something that really lived in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And And when you were writing through the experience, you know, it's it's so sharp, and it's so detailed. And I, I just wanted to talk about, you know, I, if you're doing the, your writing practice through the whole situation, then maybe maybe a lot of information is right there for you. But was it just so, you know, so life or death, it's so visceral, like that, that all of that just kind of came flooding back to you? Did you have to really kind of talk to people like, Oh, what was it like when you took? No, I had to-, to
1: really, I had to really recall it. I sat with my calendar Mm -hmm. from that time to look at the, you know, the different doctor visits. And I had to go find the medical stuff I took. You know, I'd have to go, I looked in my drawers to find out what I was taking then. So I had to re, what is it? Re, uh, you know, (laughs) re something
2: at all (laughs) you also almost kind of had to research yourself that must have felt funny
1: yes exactly I had to research myself that's a great way of putting it yeah
2: another thing that I loved and I was curious um if this was conscious uh that you the the two of these sections are are called here was my life and then this was my beloved's life and I was really touched by the way that that just very subtly created this kind of pre- and post-cancer. Like, you know, you're you're sort of mourning one life and, and welcoming another.
1: Uh-huh. I don't know I if, you, if you were thinking I about that. I wasn't quite aware of that. I knew I wanted to. I did it in the Great Spring. Uh-huh. I worked really hard on the structure of the Great Spring. And um, I each section i named so i thought i'll do that again but i i wasn't aware as you're saying that i went back and forth i just you know had a section i thought well what could i call this what section? can i call
2: it yeah yeah
1: sometimes if you get it right it works on a lot of levels
2: that's right and then and you don't even that's been a really hard i think that's been one of the hardest things for me to accept with writing and, and, you know, writing down the bones has been huge for this, but that that idea of acknowledging that there are smarter parts of yourself than what you're conscious of and letting them do the work.
1: Oh, that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's if, That's what you have to work on <laughs> because that's it. You have to let go because it's really working on another level. I mean, when I, after, you know, obviously I'm, conscious of things and can write about it, you know, work it like I'm telling you now. But I always come back to writing practice, and I rely on writing practice to take me, you know, where I need to go.
2: Right, right. And, And how does that, what does that look like for you when you are working on a project like this? You know, are you still starting with writing practice every day? And maybe that, maybe that is what the book is, or?
1: I don't know anything but writing practice. So if I'm working on a book, I use writing practice but pour it down the river of the book rather than just a, a, a shot that goes every place. I write about this a lot in, um, and because people have asked me about it, I really explain it and develop it in um, uh, Thunder and Lightning.
2: Okay, so you're so it's maybe more of a kind of directed writing practice.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. That's it. Okay. It's direct. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's directed writing practice. Okay, it's not just any. You know, what is a gunshot? That's a uh, that's every. You know, it just shoots all oh, over.
2: Like a scatter
1: shot. Scatter shot. Yeah. It, no, this is. Um, it's directed.
2: What's your setup like do you have a single setup when you when you're working on something?
1: You know that's all bullshit <laughs> you, just, you just you just have to write you know it doesn't matter you know sure i'll I'll tell you one thing that's important to me. I like a bathroom nearby Okay. because you know I'm drinking tea and water, and I need a bathroom nearby. So I don't have to go too far. And so like, you know, if I go to a cafe or something, I don't like it when they have the bathrooms where you have to keep going and getting the key. Oh, yeah. I like a bathroom that's unlocked near me. I can just get up and go pee. That's my ideal. (laughs) That's
2: your only requirement.
1: (laughs) After all these years. But, you know, the thing is, I mostly now write. I have a studio Uh and I write there. But I, I sometimes need to, you know, freshen up and I go to a um, a cafe.
2: Do you find that the writing practice for you, is it still a practice in the sense of reaching some higher ideal? I don't want to say like perfecting it, but you know, the all of the issues that that we struggle with and that you articulate in writing down the bones with your ego and with fear. And, you know, do you, do you feel like you can navigate those pretty well at this point or do they still jump in front of you in kind of new ways?
1: Oh, they jump in front of me. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I know how to work with them better Uh because I've been doing it for longer, but, um, I get, I'm better at it and I don't get tossed away as quickly. You know, like you saying, what's your ideal writing thing? It doesn't matter. At my point, it's just sit down and write. Stop looking for any kind of ideal. Right. Yeah. Um, I still write in the uh, those notebooks. I do exactly what I said <laughs> yeah. in bones. I'm an old-fashioned girl. I handwrite everything, and um, I use fast-writing pens, and I uh, spiral notebooks. You know, people are always giving me these fancy notebooks, but I can't write in them. First of all, they're heavy. Right. And I like something light.
2: I hear a lot of people say this, and and I've developed, I've, I've worked it into my own writing practice as well, and I think that handwriting is, it's a whole different ballgame.
1: Yes, it's very important.
2: And I, for me, kind of what started with it was that I would, I was so, I mean, what what kind of froze me in my writing, you know, at the point that I, that I started reading, you know, and seeking wisdom, like writing down the bones is I was so paralyzed by this idea of perfection that I would kind of like not even be able to start. And and so part of what handwriting did was just let me, it was, it just made it harder to edit myself in the moment. But then I saw like what that actual... Like, it does come from a different place.
1: Good. Great. This
2: seems like a little bit of an obvious question on one hand, because I'm sure that it was it was highly emotional, but can you talk about just the the process of writing those experiences all over again?
1: It was really hard. And once I realized that it was the old writing resistance and didn't make it any more precious than that, it really broke open. And it actually was another level of being tested, you know, of um, will I continue under all circumstances?
2: Can you talk a little bit, if you can, about that recognition?
1: Sort of like a waking up, you know, your monkey mind is always testing you, and, um, you know, you learn not to believe it, and you learn its angles, oh, this is boring, this isn't interesting, who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And so you learn to not listen to it and not be tossed away by it. But um, here was a whole new subject, and I was getting tossed away by it and believing that writing about cancer was somehow special or sacred or I couldn't do it. I was, you know, re-stimulating myself, all of that. Mm Mm-hmm and then finally one day i realized wait a minute this is just monkey mind in a new form right once i realized that i was just very liberated
2: it's it's liberating and then maybe also a little bit uh you have to acknowledge like how like how sophisticated it is right like oh it found yes. this it found well, it it okay. mutated it no, found this other way to no, get no, to you no no
1: this is it's not monkey mind is not sophisticated It's just relentless. And it it will keep testing you. It comes up with the same stuff. Usually at the bottom for me, it's, you're stupid, I hate you. You're stupid, I hate you. You know, and uh, I just have to face that.
2: And I think that's such a, you know, I love this other thing. I think this is from Elizabeth Gilbert, this idea that your fears are boring. That, like, that thing that your monkey mind is saying, that's like that could apply to any, you know, that's, that's, that's a classic. Oh, you're stupid. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you just know that it's a mechanism of the mind and you don't get tossed away by it.
2: And you've written, you know, and, and about how, you know, writing, writing is not therapy. It can be therapeutic, but it, but it is not. And was this process, you know, would you call it anything like cathartic
1: for you? Uh, Huh. No, I think the pleasure for me is that I got to, I had a new subject to write about. Ah. (laughs) Listen to that. I'm calling (laughs) cancer now the pleasure. The pleasure of it was that it was a new subject to write about.
2: Was it more difficult for you to write about your partner's illness?
1: Uh, no, not at all. I was really excited to write about her, um, you know, her history, which is so unusual. And I'd been collecting it for a long time, and suddenly here was the space I could write about it.
2: I wanted to talk a little bit, if you would not mind, about writing down the bones. Tying this back to the idea of... of visiting those graves of the writers that you feel you walk with, as you so beautifully put it, uh, or walk with you. Um, what it's been like to, to have written something that has grown into a life of its own in that way and to, and to see it become this connection point
1: for so many people. Um, I think people are quite ignorant and they all come up to me and tell me how much they love Bones and they oh they say i love your book and i always say snottily which one <laughs> because because you know you don't go to a writer you know talking about their first book which was 33 years ago right i mean i understand and i do it too if you read um the great spring i totally blew it with larry mcmurtry mm. but so i do it too i understand but you know, I, I would like people to get a little more sophisticated, read the most recent book by the writer, right. or a book that isn't mentioned much, and come up to them about that. And um, it's much more interesting for the writer. Sure. And also, if you loved my book, why not read another book of mine? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, one woman came up to me and said, I've read your book every year. For the last 10 years. Well, I was not impressed. Mm. <laughs> I said, why don't you read one of my other reading? books?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, oh, okay, so there's that. I also appreciate that it had broken uh, um, a paradigm mm-hmm. in the way we see writing. Now, I didn't know I was doing that. It was just the time. If it came out in 1950, it would have died. It was just ripe. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't written it, somebody else would. But the power of it is I people don't realize I'm not really writing about writing. I'm telling you about Zen. Mm-hmm. I wrote that book after 12 years of very deep Zen practice. So I digested it and then put it in a vernacular that people in our country could understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but I also know I have to behave and feel (laughs) gratitude that that happened because many people write very wonderful books and they die.
2: Right, right. This
1: book, this book has enabled me to continue writing other books because it was so successful. They, um, you know, publishers are willing to hoping I'll write another book like that. They keep publishing me.
2: Right. And did you have to deal with, um, you know, did did publishers want to make a whole kind of genre out of it and you had to turn down, you know, writing down the bones for teens, writing down the bones for, you know.
1: Well, they didn't. uh, I remember they did bring up for a workbook and stuff, Uh and I just didn't do it. Now, actually, the idea of a workbook kind of interests me. I could make it really fun. Mm -hmm. But... um, Oddly, they didn't do that with me. I went on to write other real books. Right, yeah. Like, an, I don't have, like, uh, bones, notebooks, bones this, bones that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't do that.
2: Can you talk a little bit more about, I know this is this is something that you know this is that this is so fundamental to to so much of your writing it certainly is very prominent in let the whole thundering world come home but just that connection between writing practice and zen practice and kind of what what that is for you
1: well there's no difference writing practice is a legitimate zen practice mm-hmm. and in my book the true secret of writing i i state that and legitimize it mm-hmm. That writing practice is directly out of um, sitting meditation. And some people want to meditate and some people really want to write. And that if you take it on as a real practice, you can go very deep with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't have um, a separation. Right. There's no separation for me.
2: And do do you feel like that was always the case?
1: Yes, I do, but it took me a long time to be willing to come and state it. Mm. Because when Bones came out, no one ever heard of Zen. Mm -hmm. And um, it took a long time for me to start teaching silent retreats and, you know, things that are much more analogous to it.
2: I I talk to a lot of debut authors, and so we talk a lot about getting attention and, and, you know, in the case of nonfiction, putting proposals together and, you know, did you have to, um, you know, I know you talked about sending it to that, to that former agent and and her words about, you know, how she would change it, but do you have to kind of submit anything formally at this point?
1: Uh, no, but I don't, but right now I don't do proposals. Right. I, I, um, write a book and then I, it goes out and sometimes, no you know i I'm just like everybody else, and in some ways i'm um now that I'm older, people aren't that excited about me. Mm. I don't get reviews and stuff so um you know i i it's different now, i think um, yeah i I just write the book I want and hope I can find someone who will publish it right.
2: Yeah, what do you what do you think of this kind of it, it feels definitely like, um, you know, especially writers like of my generation, it's a very kind of MFA heavy mo- moment and everybody's coming out of these programs, you know, with their with their collections of short stories. And there it seems very much that there's just this, you know, one very well, well trodden path to getting a book published.
1: You know the world is different. I didn't get any m f a and i didn't nobody even asked me you know on what authority are you telling us how to write? No one ever asked me really I didn't have any book out. I never went to had an m f a The book worked, yeah, so you know people go to these m f a s sometimes to get a book done, and um then they're very uh disappointed because they can't get the book published. And often I get people after they have an MFA and they've stopped writing. Mm. You know, cuz they've been disappointed and you know, it wasn't any fun writing anymore and so I you know, I'm I feel like, you know, A- Allen Ginsberg, someone came up to Allen Ginsberg and said, "Do I need should I go get an MFA?" And he said, hmm, let me think about it. He said, I can't remember. Did Shakespeare have an MFA? <laughs> so, you know, I, I if it works for you, great. Right. If you like it, great. But um, don't think it's going to get you a book published. Right. It might, but that's very, very rare. Yeah,
2: and don't think it's going to get you... Like the permission that you actually just need to grant yourself that you do have the authority to write. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That
2: was a big come to Jesus for me with that decision.
1: Where did you go? I didn't. No,
2: no, I didn't. Um, But I wondered once I started working on a novel, I started wondering about it. And then I realized that that was just kind of me needing somebody else to tell me I was okay.
1: But what you do need is to write, a, read a lot.
2: Yes, of course.
1: Read deeply and study the mind of the authors.
2: How? Uh, what are What are some What are some books that you come back to that you love?
1: Well, recently I've read some really great um, African writers. The Fisherman. It's a Niger from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. It's a knockout. The Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears, and that's from Ethiopia. I'm about to read um, John Weidman, his newest book, which I can't remember the name of. That didn't get a lot of press, but he's a, he wrote some great books. And he's not African. Mm-hmm. He's an American African-American writer. Oh, The Sympathizer.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: very important book um and you know what I'm reading right now for the first time Proust (gasps) I've never read Proust
2: neither have I and I just saw a really nice volume in a bookstore a couple weeks ago and and wondered when I was ever gonna try that how are you finding it
1: oh it's it's phenomenal but what I did I didn't trust myself to read it and I've always wanted to read it so I started I invited a few other people. And I actually have now twelve people reading it with me. And we get together and discuss it.
2: So it's like a little accountability group.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like writing practice. You get together with other people and write.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a funny thing. I, I, you know I've been talking a lot to folks who uh, you know, use use writing spaces or or go to, you know, or in some cases even starting spaces where people can come together to write. And I think, you know, I've worked for myself for so long that the idea of being held accountable never really, I never really feel like I need it. But then you can't actually account for the energy of the space when just everybody is being creative in their own.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I You know, sometimes I'll call a friend and say, hey, meet me, you know, when I'm feeling stale or something or just need some juice and don't want to just do it alone all the time. Right. I made it, you know, we do writing practice together.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's so important too, because, you know, I I think I'm definitely among those writers who like to talk about how hard writing is. And like, that kind of takes away the fact that you have agency to like, you know, you can change the energy of your space. You can, like, you know, you you don't have to be stuck and think, well, I'm stuck today. Are there um are there books that you revisit again and again? I'm always torn with the idea of rereading because it feels like there's so little time and I've read so little of what actually exists yeah, in the
1: world. But there are some books that walk with me. Uh-huh. I sort of call it that. Ballad of a Sad Cafe by mm. Carson McCullers. Mm-hmm. Larry McMurtry, um Leaving Cheyenne and Last Picture Show. Um Willa Cather uh, Song of a Lark, Departures by Paul Zweig, uh, Giovanni's Room by mm-hmm. uh, uh, James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. These are books that walk with me.
2: And, and and
1: probably more, but I can't think of them right now. Can
2: you describe a little bit more what, what that feeling is, them walking with you?
1: They just... They were very early um, influences, and I still they're still inside me. And I oh, *Movable Feast* by Hemingway. Oh, sure. And uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm writing like Baldwin. I'm writing like you know, I, I'm moving into their. You know, they're informing my writing. Mm.
2: Do you do you like to keep reading at your usual pace while you're working on a project, or do you, do you change what you're reading and how much you're reading?
1: Uh, no, I it, reading is hard. Yeah, not because it isn't the most fantastic thing, but finding the time. Life gets so seductive. Ordinary life.
2: Now that this memoir has been written. You know, do you feel like do you feel like your quote unquote cancer book is you know Do you feel like you you had one and and we and it's done, or do you feel like this has opened up more for you about that experience and wanting no, to go deeper no. with that
1: experience? No, I'm I'm done. I'm deep in the middle of another book right now. Okay,
2: I assume that you don't want to talk about that. I know it's it's. Usually... Well, I can.
1: I, I mean, I'll just mention it. It's about haiku and Japan. Okay. So it's about a whole other world.
2: Okay. That, do you like to do that to kind of make a pretty dramatic mental shift for the next project?
1: No, I don't. At this point, books choose me. I don't choose them. It just—I don't know. I don't even know how I got into it. Right.
2: Okay. And then, like you know, like you're saying uh, with this book, if you if you resist it at first, it it, it still finds its way through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not writing this book, I'll be writing another book, but this is the one that came out. And now that I'm in it, it feels obvious.
2: Right. Right. That always that's that's so often the way. Yeah. What does creative satisfaction look like for you right now?
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> this new book. <laughs> no, seriously. This yeah. new book feels like creative satisfaction.
0: You'll find links to some of the things we talked about today at WMFAPodcast.com. Have a question or an author you'd love to hear on the show? Email me at hello at WMFAPodcast.com. And find me on Twitter and Instagram at CFBalestier. Writers need feedback. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to write me a review on iTunes. The WMFA logo was created by Unsold Studio, and our theme music is Jazz Dancer by Double Winter. Find them at DoubleWinter.BandCamp.com. WMFA is made in Detroit by Courtney Ballastier, LLC, all rights reserved.